Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yawpcast for November 13th, 2017, featuring poet Vanessa Jimenez Gab leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I'm your host and MC, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yawp is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic held at 61 Local in Cobble Hill. That's at 61 Bergen Street off Smith Street near the Bergen Street FG stop. For more info about the Brooklyn Poets Yawp and to sign up, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Tim Gerber Fleury, Michaela Anderson, Lauren Gerber Fleury, Stefan Lerisson, Trinity Tybe, Chris Lowe, Alan Braverman, Charlene Guerna, Brad Vogel, Harvey Sauce, Helen Hutner, Bill Considine, Richard Fine, Emily Blair, Bill Livingston, Timothy Wojcik, Julia Knobloch, Arthur Russell, Sebastian Bernard, Molly Watson, Misha Tatunik, Julie Chen, and Brand Ferris. So let's get right to the action. The Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for November. Enjoy. Welcome back. Y'all, open mic. We have standing room only, apparently. Um, we will try to get you some chairs. I think there's a few left, but there are also three seats up here. So I recommend that you're all staring off at it since like you don't want to sit. We really would like you to sit. Uh, if you want to sit together, maybe a couple of people can move over or something. They're really nice. Charlene, I can vouch for her. She's nice. Julia is very nice. Uh, Ellen's nice. I didn't see you there, but Ellen, Ellen is certainly nice. Uh, take a seat. Be careful when you're leaning on that railing. That's all I say. You know, just I just don't want anyone to die. As long as you're a gentle leaner, you're, yeah, I think it's a perfectly reasonable thing to expect. Nobody dies at a poetry event. Um, this is the Broken Poets Yacht Open Mic. As I said, uh, <laughs> I have this echo in my head. Uh, I am Jason Koo. If you don't know me, the executive director of Broken Poets. I have a few announcements before we begin. One, you may have noticed these uh, fancy postcards we made for the bridge. Uh, maybe you know about the bridge, maybe you don't. But uh, we are unveiling a redesign of the site this Wednesday. So look forward to that. You guys are the first people to hear about this, other than uh, the people that work for us. Um, it's going to look something like this. The whole site is going to be in black and white. It's going to be a lot cooler than it is now. Uh, I like it now, but I've kind of gotten sick of looking at it. Uh, and uh, this is going to be a much cooler site to look at. Uh, it's also going to be, I think, a lot uh, easier to use. If you don't know about The Bridge, it is a poetry network that we built a couple of years ago, specifically for poets and mentors to find each other. Uh, these are two groups of people that are often uh, looking for each other and not able to find each other. I get tons of people asking me how I find a mentor, how do I get someone to critique my work without paying tons of money for a workshop or an MFA program, and The Bridge is actually where you can do that. And you can uh, contact someone for a critique of one poem or as much as like something like a book if you've got something like that to show them. So, And you can also find just the right mentor for you. So if you want to work on a specific thing, like, I don't know, poems about money, uh, you might find Vanessa Menezgab on The Bridge. She is on there. 
Uh, if you're looking for poems about, I don't know, food, there's probably someone on the bridge that specializes in that. Whereas if you go to an MFA program, it's just a fucking crapshoot. You just hope that, you hope that someone there just likes you, let alone is suitable for being your mentor. Uh, so check that out, it's totally free to join. And if you are a mentor, if you uh, taught poetry or got expertise in that, you can actually make money on this site. That's the big plus for mentors. You can apply for mentorship and then get paid for critiques. So look for that on Wednesday. Uh, in a couple of weeks, back here in this room on Monday night, we have our Broken Poets Workshop Showcase. It's our fall sh showcase. If you don't know about that, every season, the winter, spring, then the summer, and the fall, we have workshops, of course. And then at the end of the season, we have a group reading featuring our professors and students together. So it's a nice celebratory night. There's a ton of poets. There's about 23 poets this November, so uh, strap in. Uh, but I can personally vouch for all of them. They are all amazing poets. So if you want to come out for that, uh, November 27th, 7 p.m., it is free. Uh, and then lastly, and this is going to segue into the op, December 11th, Monday, the second Monday of the month, is the last op of the year. Not only is it special because it's the last of the year, but we have uh, our poem of the year smackdown, what I personally call the smackdown. Nobody else calls it that, but uh, if you want to call it that too, that would be great. Uh, at every op, uh, just so you know, if you don't know this yet, we vote for poem of the month by audience vote. I'm gonna give you my number in a second to text your vote. Uh, so there will be 12 winners of Poem of the Month over the past year who will be going head to head for Poem of the Year honors. And Poem of the Year will also be decided by audience votes. It's gonna be a lot of texting activity on my phone on December 11th. So uh, if you haven't won yet, Poem of the Month, today is your last chance to do so. We're at 2017 and so far, as I've said a few times, it is the year of the woman. So fuck Harvey Weinstein, fuck Louis C.K., fuck everyone, right? Every person has won so far is a woman. So we'll see what happens tonight. My guess is it'll also be a woman, especially now since we want the last one also to be a woman. So. <laughs> you know, there's like an extra incentive for people to vote for the woman. Not saying you have to, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, if you want to vote for Poem of the Month, this is the first time I give you the number. I'll repeat this a few times during the night. It is 718. 374-1953. I ask that you wait until the end of the event to vote. It's just, you know, less tacky that way. You hear all the readers. You may know in advance who you want to vote for, but just wait. Um, it's not technically against the rules to vote for yourself, but it's kind of crappy <laughs> to do that. Uh, I think I've said before, no one who's ever voted for themselves has won yet, so I feel like that's, that's just karma, right? So try to vote for somebody else. Um, we record the YAWP every month, the YAWP Open Mic. We uh, publish it as a, uh, the YAWPcast on iTunes. You can subscribe to that. It's also on SoundCloud. So if you are reading tonight and don't want to be in the recording, you should tell me that. Either you can just talk to me afterwards or email me. We can take you off the recording. Uh, ground rules. If you are reading tonight, you get one poem. Three minutes max in the mic. You see, I smile every time I say this because every month people go over. <laughs> One month, I'm just going to have to give like candy to the person that actually stays under three minutes because it's that rare. Uh, I get it. You all want to, you know, be awesome up here. I'm all for that. But there are a lot of poets. We want everyone to be awesome. So the more you read for it, you know, there's a poor poet on the wait list who's like saved all their money to come to this event. They might have come from New Jersey like Arthur. And then they're, they're like not going to read because you're reading for like six minutes. So think of that poor poet from New Jersey or you know, some people fly in for this event, if you can believe it. This, yeah, there's a poet I know that flies in for this sometimes. So 
Imagine being that poet on the wait list while you're reading for seven minutes, right? Don't do it. One poem, three minutes max on the mic. Uh, am I forgetting anything, Arthur? No. I think, that really is, I think that is all. So our first reader is our featured reader, who is our professor. Some of you took her workshop earlier. Give it up for Vanessa jimenez Gap. sit at a table inside and become four. They become four because two people they know walk in and join them at this table. They have not seen one another in days or years. They become four now, but also became four before. They were themselves and also many former selves, except they were somewhere and went somewhere else and became less or more. They have sat at many tables. But they talk about sitting exactly here years ago at this exact place, almost. Did we come with bad timing, they say, knowing change cannot be unchanged? They talk of what they do every day with their time and how they speak says so much about how they view themselves. They add words to each other's sentences and laugh at what they make. They want to know how much is too little. They talk of the lack of water or experience. They give each other advice and say, thank you for teaching me about what not to do. Thank you for the surprise of who you are now. Are you hungry, they ask? Are you sure? How incredible is it that they have wandered into the same moment? There are many places to be, and they have chosen this one. They feel this wonder and repeat it, even though repeating it does not bring them any more sense. Why not, they say, why not sit together in this night, despite everything that has happened? Ex-women and ex-men. They pay for one another and say, please don't, please, let's split the burden of what this has cost us. It is not guilt exactly, but more tribal. There's wine and food and the light. They ask about getting home. They ask about what will happen after. Where are you going? It will take more days or years for them to meet this way with cause. The same people or the same. They go away, but differently. They were here and sometimes it's like they were here. Thank you. Thank you. Love that poem. 
was kind of nice with the music down there. I was like, that was like, yeah, that was like the first time I kind of liked it in the background. But uh, maybe I'm just used to it. <laughs> uh, our first reader of the night is uh, one of a pair, and they've uh, nicely separated themselves by one reader, maybe to make it look less conspicuous. But uh, give it up for Tim Gerber Flurry. as he walks down the street for a few blocks. He thinks about the water at the end of the street, still and gray. It has, it has witnessed so many things, he realizes. Many passing vessels, the Napi and Wapink canoes, French Carrick, manned by Florentines, Castilian Caravel, manned by Portuguese, Dutch flyboat, manned by British. They came and went quietly, not a fuss, not a pip, but a wrinkle in the water. Then people came and settled in sloops, schooners, brigantines, cutters, brigs, frigates, whale boats, long boats, and prison boats, wooden shells passing by. They were sailed or paddled, bringing more denizens ashore. Water was not so quiet anymore. He stops there now on the edge of the water. Over there on the other side is Aqueonga Manaknom, Ikuhus, Stat Eiland, Staten Island. Many names for one place, many realities. Probs grew there amongst trees said to be bad. He thinks about the man that has a street named after him in Manhattan. What was he called again? Juan Rodriguez, João Rodriguez, Jan Rodriguez were his names he remembers. He came before the denizens. He settled on Manahata, where they had with his hatchets in his hut, before it became New Amsterdam. The first one not to be a Lenape or a Wapik. Some say out of love, some say out of rebellion. But isn't love a rebellion, he thinks? He was neither a Dutch or Portuguese, a Dominican or an American. He was neither a hero or a foe, a forefather or a colonist. He was but a man, a free man, with his feet hunched on the edge of the bay. Congrats, Tim. Nice job, your first time. Uh, our next reader uh, also seems like a Yacht Day viewer, unless I'm mistaken. Give it up for Michaela Anderson. Um, with the squiggles on the horizon. 
Edison and Bob's from It's called Pescador. Palms dusted with a fine veil of salt, holding the first cup of the winter solstice, he imagines the curls of his amada wrapped where seagrass and the tendrils of tiny squid clung to his fingers. Slender dedos, which will play her again like his childhood mandolin. Anchored against the wet planks, he turns the hull of El Guapo toward shore, bridging the swell of a tanker riding the horizon. And in his mind's eye, he is breaking across her copper skin in the back room, the warmth of Epazote and Chile's pooling under the threshold, mingling with the novenas of his mother, from whose thighs he had surged sin sueños years ago, then as now, gasping for breath. by someone who writes the longest poems a lot. Uh, our next reader is the other half that I previewed a couple seconds, a couple minutes ago. Give it up for Lauren gerber Flurry. Because you feel free and easy, and most importantly, yourself with it short. 
And when you tell your partner you have to make a stop in your hometown on the drive back to Brooklyn from North Carolina to do just that, he's excited for you. He says he fell in love with you this way. And the more dapper and free you feel, the sexier he finds you. He and she, husband and wife, partners in love and equals in life. Pay no mention to pronouns as poignant proxies for you and me and the magic we make as a we. Thanks. Stéphane Lérisson. How's that for my... The sun set and it felt final, like this day had not only died like yesterday, but it was the last. And once the colors in the sky followed, we would have breakfast under the constellations, wear our pajamas to work, Nothing would ever close or ever open, while the people would never feel quite awake, and Con Ed would rule the world, while children imagined monsters everywhere. And the only place we would see the day was in photographs and motion picture stores. First four readers ever. Uh, okay. Uh, can I help you help me out with the last name? Is it Tibo or Tybo? Oh, it's Tybe. Okay, so that E isn't that O. So that I thought was an O, isn't Our next vote is Trinity Tybe. Give it up for Trinity. its hands off my eyes, yanked my chin towards the colorful architecture of your face, and left me alone with you, strange career of my DNA, you, an almost familiar place. Hello, Cuba. Hello, father. May I call you that? If a homeland offers no house or apartment, if there is no familiar front door acting as a veil between day in and day out, if there is not enough monotony from kissing the same faces goodbye, if every family has its scent and I can smell ours, then I'm still an outsider. Your hija americana sitting finally at your table, cradling a cup of coffee like an egg in my palm. Do not speak directly towards me. Do not be silent. Let me bask in your accent. My first words were pale, vast land and highway. Mouth dry with Tennessee cornbread. Mom's bleached wooden spoon stirred in sugar. But at school, I liked the feel of Spanish in my mouth, in mi boca like ripe, black-skinned, sweet plantain. 
butter soft and fried, ours rolling in a hot pan of my saliva. Before you called me daughter, I had proof. Tuyo es mio. I am not yours, but what's yours is mine. corrected me uh, is Chris Lowe. Give it up for Chris. Thank you very much for um, letting me read for you all tonight. I've been looking forward to this. It's called Watering Hole. I never stare. I don't bother them. But I drink here specifically to watch all the animals from the Zitty Zoo who drink here as well. Rhino's got dribble on his khakis. He's sober but rushes so no one sees how fat he looks, squeezing out of the stall in the men's room. Zebra enjoys her cider and light reading. She relishes every word and sip uninterrupted by some jackass complimenting her pattern. <laughs> sea lions whispering to anyone who will listen how amazing it is he has a voice at all. There's an untouched stack of postcards detailing his feeding times near the door. <laughs> One day I'll tell them all, all of them except sea lion, that I love their work. Until then, I'll sit here observing myself, quietly getting hammered. <laughs> Thank you very much.
spiritual thespians on a secular mission, embracing the Old and New Testament, the gospel according to Sodom and Gomorrah, and the children that charges are lambs ready to be devoured in a moment of passion, or a prolonged cycle of lust, martyrs in a living sepulcher, where these holy men revel in self-reclaimed Dante's Inferno, protected by popes, cardinals, bishops, rabbis, and statues of limitations, as the young ones age in a mental state of purgatory, a life sentence of shame and degradation, until the victims speak out and the pedophiles are exposed. <laughs> Okay, uh, keep it score. I'm gonna give you my number again. 718-374-1953. Those of you who are regulars here are so sick of hearing my phone number, I'm sure. But uh, imagine, imagine how sick of it I am. <laughs> uh, to review the readers we've had so far, that was Alan Braverman, before that was Chris Lowe, Trinity <coughs> Tybe, Stefan Lerhison, Lauren Gerber-Fleury, Michaela Anderson, and Tim Gerber-Fleury. Our next reader won Poem of the Month last month, though. so uh, other than that being good, she can't win this month, so don't vote for her again, unless you really want to. Give it up for Charlene Guerna. train, dropping one lover off and picking up another, taking away shards of affection and attention one moment and replacing it with new and open awe the next. At each stop, I pray that someone worthy will board, someone luminous enough to light the darkest parts of my soul, that we will fuse like milk and cookies. I've made several stops and I'm still combining like oil and water. There is no such thing as perfection, so I don't seek it in the slightest. What I do seek is a solid presence and a heart filled with substance. The process of love is provocative, lonely, liberating, and infuriating. The train doesn't always arrive on time, and if I miss one, there is always another one right behind it. Milk and cookies, huh? <laughs> Did you see that LeBron on the cab from the subway today? Yeah. Too bad you weren't. They're all going to train to meet him. Like, hey guys, what's going on? Apparently, there was like this white dude sitting next to LeBron, and he was like, he didn't know who he was apparently. So he, he was like doing the video and uh, uninterrupted. The guy was like, <laughs> and then he left. <laughs> LeBron was like, well, I guess I got more room now. <laughs> that guy's gonna look like such an idiot tonight. Uh, our next reader is a special reader. He'll probably uh, say a few words about this, but uh, if you don't know, Walt Whitman uh, used to live here. <laughs> Some of you probably know that, that attend our events. And in 1855, uh, among other things, he published the first edition of Leaves of Grass, which, of course, is a very special event, not only in my life, but in Brooklyn Poets' life. Uh, and while he did that, he was living in a house on 99 Ryerson Street, and this is actually the only standing house that Whitman lived in. So our next reader, aside from writing poetry and reading poetry, is actually trying to save this house. 
and get it landmarked by New York City. So um, you should definitely support that if you can. I will let him talk to you about that a little bit. Give it up for Brad Vogel. It's not the only residence that he lived in that is still standing. It's the only residence still standing in New York City. Yeah, and in Brooklyn. Uh, but yeah, if you're interested, let me know after the yacht, and I'm happy to connect you with the right people you should be emailing to help make that a landmark. Because I learned about it last year, and someone mentioned the fact that Walt Whitman's home is not landmarked, the place where he actually lived and finished up Leaves of Grass, and it was just a shock to me. Um, so I do think it should be landmark. But anyway, on to the poetry. You may have heard of the Gowanus Canal. It's a weird place to go canoeing, being a toxic, uh, super fun set and all, but I love to go every chance I get. Out in the sticks. Flashing like silver as a musket to a Marylander, I grip tight my paddle bright and keen. Creosote breaths, a skein with the sheen, chest heaves as I lean out, in, out, in. The sticks hit the rim, beat the drum, in and out, out and in, out in the sticks. Just me and him solo, surfacing merganser, wide-eyed paddler, dawn whispers in periwinkle, droplets drip the blade. How free are we, am I, here, BQE framed, lavender lapped, <laughs> far from Cerberus shore, out in the sticks. Is that char on that shotgun? Or is it this heat or an egret lighting out over flood-buckled streets, past pito grapefruits, looping loquats through wet blossoms to the sheets? How I miss you, how you made me fly the flag, babe. Fuck the tweets. <laughs> out in the sticks, reeds riot green and so do I. Who do you know best and how do you know him? There is no better way to get to know a person than in canoe under sky. Under willows, under gnats, under storm petrol, hover hum. Permission to speak freely, it starts to come. At ease, at ease, bendering, meandering, out in my element, though not out. There lie depths below, undeniably tamarack black. We adjust, always avoiding the tip. Out in the sticks. The sleeper sleeps, ghost crowds watch from bulwarks as bittern booms. Lumber winging by, trailing translucent past, fuzz fire at Finn, Jared Kushner, and our sins bury bodies across from Whole Foods, plate-sized oysters spill out onto tugboats, crushing my bow now, canal, mill pond, creek, coal tar, gasified leak, in, out, past and present, duck and sneak, like my words through Darby's patch and glassy peaks, on tides and flushing tunnels, their scent corrosive orange, a merganser's beak, sharp as truth that we seek like a girl throwing petals on putridity. Retractile dreamer tracks the street, swirled from my paddle in this uncertainty, in this din, in and out, out and in, in the sticks, in the sticks, out in the sticks. interested in helping out, if you know anyone important, especially if you know any politicians or lawyers, Arthur, you're a lawyer, you could probably help. Uh, 
I wrote a letter of support. You can write a letter of support. Uh, just bother people. Uh, it's a very important house, 1855. Leaves of Grass is a not just an important poem, but probably the most important poem uh, in American history, certainly, and maybe arguably in world history. It's that important a poem. Uh, you might not agree with me, you might not like Whitman, but you would be wrong. So uh, just reread Whitman, go to school by yourself, spend some time with that poet, and maybe you'll come around. <laughs> Our next poet is Harvey Suss. Give it up for Harvey. series that I host at the Montauk Club, which is uh, an 1891 Venetian palazzo-style building well-maintained in Parksville, Brooklyn. The next uh, reading will be held this coming Sunday from 1 to 3. It's a beautiful building. Uh, and uh, I have flyers over there on the table. Feel free, again, those of you who aren't already aware of it, pick one up, come <coughs> join us, listen, read, uh, bring your best. Uh, I've been here a number of times now and I hear lots and lots of love poems falling out of love poems, kick me out of bed love poems uh, mine are generally collected under something called love poems for nobody in particular uh, this one you know, a lot of catting around but I don't know their names uh, this one is uh, very particular called Triggering the Four-Cause Exception to Until Death Do Us Part. <laughs> Lawyer, he knows. Okay. <laughs> and married, he knows. Uh, I did not love your labia. Fat lips I didn't want to kiss. Hugely disproportionate to breasts, hips, elbows, and all pluperfect body parts I'd kill for. Caress and kiss endlessly. Apparently reason enough for you to unlike and unfriend me, to dump my belongings on the sidewalk and change the locks. Huffily loud as any Italian henwife whose manja you cluck has been disrespected. Our love, it seems, has alteration found. Blocked from your social media sites, my usual comfy spot between your knees, delicate as saucers for children's play teacups. I count the ways I loved you. That one way I fucked up. Thank you, Harvey. I don't quite know what to say. Helen Hutner here? Yes. Okay, give it up for Helen. It's Hutner, right? Yeah. Helen Hutner, everyone. Full of people we shouldn't have. 
not when we escaped to that wannabe hipster bar and teenage cuddled on the red couch that smelled so deeply of cigarettes you could barely smell my perfume. Not when we lay naked in sheets that weren't ours, the heat blasting with the window open so the Nordic air could cleanse our souls. The glow from Christmas lights still hanging came through the window in the early hours that January morning. Not when you traced the deep corners of my mind while I traced all the outlines of your tattoos. I learned to find them in the dark, the parrot, the dove, the ship. You learned all the streaks of my hazel eyes as their sparkle burned scars into your chest. You asked me if this was like that Taylor Swift song where you'll remember me standing in my nice dress staring at the sunset, red lips and rosy cheeks. Europeans' knowledge of American pop culture is always adorably jaded. <laughs> me, you always called me treasure. This was before you met the real one, the American girl who would truly own your heart. Back then, it was just me. I liked it better then before she hurt you into not believing. Sorry, my sister, but you did. That January saved me. Laughing as I drank wine on the metro without a bra or a care in the world, <laughs> waiting for your three names to pop up on my messenger app. The January you told me I could set myself free if I wanted to. The wind could carry me away to far off lands where I could molt and shed my skin and be brand new again. After all, I'd done it before. The January I felt the walls cave in and crush the supposed to that had carried me to your strange land in the first place. What does Missouri feel like, you asked? <laughs> Is it sweet like you? Does it bite your lip like you do when you're nervous? And what does Denmark feel like, I ask? Is it harsh and critical like you? <laughs> Does it pretend to be strong like you when all it wants is to break open and crumble into oblivion? You have the most adorable accent when you speak Danish, you say. Words bubble in the back of my throat. But I know how to mold them so they sound like yours, just like I know how to reconfigure myself, making my mind trace your questions in circles of sweet confusion and give you longing glances that are picturesque yet palpably strained. One of my many talents. Won't you teach me, I beg you, kiss by kiss. Let me be heartless like the weather in your country. Hold me in silence the way your people ostracize anything strange because I'm beautifully strange and this way I'll know I'm noticed. Was it love, was it love, was it love? Discussion recently about American history and 
some things we thought we were starting to put behind us, uh, we have not. And uh, seeing things sometimes in a new light, as uh, I think Faulkner said, uh, the past is not even past. And uh, this poem is about uh, William Marcy, uh, familiar from the Marcy Projects and Marcy Avenue in Brooklyn. Uh, he was, uh, as I'll tell you about here, it's American politics, 1830s into 1860s. Marcy. Marcy from Troy was a bucktail opposed to the Erie Canal. Marcy rose to statesman, state controller, judge, New York governor, U.S. senator, secretary of war for the Mexican War. Marcy was a hunker, a soft, a doe-face, doe-face Democrat, open to bargaining with barn burners who opposed slavery, but a unionist, <coughs> loyal to the solid South leadership of the democracy, the slave power, a massive wealth. Representing New York and its bankers and merchants, he served the fire eaters. Slavery's in the Constitution. Slave owner votes are multiplied. It's basic to our union deal. Marcy, betrayed by rivals and hards, lost his last bid for the presidency to a handsome alcoholic with fewer enemies, then served as Secretary of State, for he was a statesman and unionist. <clears throat> Marcy made the Gadsden purchase of land for a southern railway to a California. Marcy pressed Spain to sell us Cuba and its slaves. Marcy approved private army filibuster gang expeditions invading Mexico and Nicaragua. Marcy worked so hard to spread slavery south and west to preserve the Union. Marcy dying saw confusion of fusion parties coming on fast. Know nothing, free soil, Republican. Soon unionists meant the opposite as the slave, as the fire eaters seceded and attacked. you, Bill. That was Bill Constantine. Before that was Helen Hutner, Harvey Sauce, Brad Vogel, Charlene Guerra, Alan Braverman, Chris Lowe, Trinity Tide, Stefan Larisson, Lauren Gerber-Fleury, Michaela Anderson, and Tim Gerber-Fleury. Our next reader is a Yop regular since 2012. Get up for Richard Fine. Banjo-like, at least to me. The drum keeps its steady beat, and the voices are in absolute harmony. Praise to the jewel and the lotus, six Buddhist symbols that find their infinite meanings. I could claim to explain every nuance, and thus expose my total ignorance. These chanters have such depth, self-discipline. Ammani padme hum, Ammani padme hum, over and over. No, not self-discipline, but a calm embracing chant 
with an undertone that whispers, hold my hand, for there's even further to walk. A community inside, and I'm the outsider, waiting to be invited in. But I already was, and I entered, and entered yet again, yet again. But so far, I've never been able just to close the door behind me and join the harmony. I lip-sync my chant, for if I really chanted, I'd be blatantly offbeat. <laughs> and my eyes wander around the room until miscreant me peeks impatiently out the window at some distant clock. But the seekers, <coughs> but the seekers hold sacred beads in their hands, but no one puts one hand in another's. So my vision, like the others, turns inward, searching for the lotus and grabbing for the jewel. Om Mani Padme Hum, Om Mani Padme Hum, Om Mani Padme Hum, Om Mani Padme Hum. By the sunlit window, the Jade Buddha sits with such a mischievous ring. Our next reader is a former Poem of the Month winner. I can't remember what month, but uh, she's very good. Give it up for Emily Blair. This is called Questing. On the train home from the poetry retreat in the Hamptons, Judy said, I get how poetry can drive you crazy, really get under your skin. It's like therapy, she said. Do you get anywhere? Do you change? Or do you just tunnel further into your own concerns? And I agreed, it's a problem. <laughs> but when I got home and saw the tick with its head buried under my collarbone, I realized the worst thing about poetry is the relentless symbolism. <laughs> the tick had just been doing its own thing, overpopulating the Hamptons, assuming questing position on a blade of grass in order to grab onto me as I walked by, thinking about poetry. <laughs> For several days I hadn't noticed or even checked, and now this same small animal was representing a whole host of my personal flaws. Procrastination, absent-mindedness, impracticality, it seemed born of the very anxiety I was trying to distract myself from by writing. The symbolic tick was bumming me out. But according to my nervous internet researches, the actual tick was going to kill me. So the next day I went to the doctor who prescribed antibiotics and told me that he too had worried about ticks after wearing shorts to hike on Fire Island. What was I thinking, he said. Then he showed me a picture of a fox he saw there by the roadside, waiting to be noticed and fed, like a symbol in a poem. And also, like an individual living creature in danger as a result of human-induced environmental change. And I was worried that the fox was going to die, but since it seemed like I was going to live, I went to the Strand to look at poetry books, certain I was getting somewhere. <laughs>
good. That was the Brooklyn Poets Retreat she was talking about. <laughs> you can come next year and get a tick too. <laughs> Yeah, well, you'll get a really good poem out of it. That was awesome. Uh, our next reader is a original Brooklyn Poets Yopper since the first Yop in April 2012. We haven't seen him for a while, but he's back tonight. Give it up for Bill Livingston. It's called Scream of Consciousness. The white male privilege struggle is real. To find the pain that creates great art, to pursue misfortune that doesn't exist, to crawl into the gutter that Bukowski escaped, to survive the beatings endured by the activists, the assaults on the women who scream in the night, to become the agents of change at daybreak, to lose lovers of unnatural causes, to conjure the cancer that took my father, to summon the strokes that took my mother, to relive the word salad mixed media memories of unspeakable catastrophe spoken through creation. To feel, despite scarred, deadened nerves, the birth of something beautiful from a destroyed and barren womb. Luck does not favor the artist. Just ask the psychic that took my money. Searching, <laughs> searching through tarot cards for calamity in a past life. Gypsy bangles barely covering the scars on her wrist silently mocking me. I'll never be the sweet raisin in the tasteless sea of bland oatmeal. Never the face of diversity, never the voice of adversity. Always the white bread, untoasted, unbuttered, listening to wry and pumpernickel tales of sorrow. Merely putting forth my list of inconveniences, my petty annoyances, my frivolous drawbacks, my longing for those moments of struggle, reckless in what I wish for. I'll walk among them, but I'm not of them. I don't slam, I've never slammed. Slamming makes an impact, like a drunk-driven car into a light pole. I lightly tap you on the shoulder to burden you with my white Anglo-Saxon Protestant atheist first world problems. The wasp looking for his sting. When it comes to creation, the minorities rule, the majority drools over Pulitzers, book prizes, NEA grants, or just being asked back to the microphone. The tragedy that plants the seed that takes root, grows and sprouts beautiful soliloquies. It's the mother that breastfeeds shock and awe surrealities. Until then, I contrive, 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 as I wait with open arms whatever misfortune befalls me before the sweet release of death. Until then, I sketch, I sketch, I sketch with erasable lead before I dare throw paint on the lily white canvas. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're always invited, you know, to read. I don't know if that, that might have been a persona. <laughs> Uh, our next reader is, I think I'm going to get this right, Arthur, Timothy Wojcik. Is that right? Yeah. Give it up for Timothy Wojcik. Give it up for Jason. Give it up for Jason. I got it. I got it. Oh, oh, oh. oh boy. Oh, yeah. 
this is called happiness. The machine produces a series of symbols and icons that roughly translate into your specific emotions. I have the feeling of a not yet dead animal sitting at a not yet broken table eating not yet digested objects, which roughly looks like a flashing square of pinkish light radiating from one corner of the screen to the other. The machine can manipulate your feelings as well. Like one moment you're sitting, feeling the despair of utter grief over the dog you lost in the forest, represented by a green streak quickly moving back and forth across the screen. And the next, you're feeling the feeling of floating on a pond and of the color blue bursting over a ridge of your very own choosing, represented by, you guessed it, blue. Our next reader is the Poem of the Year winner from 2016, so you might be her this year. Give it up for Julia Knobloch. Later, when you reviewed the narrative of our courtship, you asked, what made you think that was a real date? You asked, what made you think I was in love with you? On what may or may not have been a real first date, at the now permanently closed bookstore on Port Street, we attended a reading about true tales of lust and love. You knew the writers and made comments about mean-spiritedness and brilliance. You laughed your reading laughter, the one that may or may not be supposed to signal complicity and expertise. And I asked myself whether I liked this craving for attention laughter, and decided I did, although I did think it was a bit much. <laughs> your hand on my inner thigh right there. The uninhibited display of touching in public may or may not have been a signal to understand this date as not a real date. That night, you were slightly limping. I wondered whether this was permanent or passing, whether I would date someone who was permanently limping and decided I would, because I had already fallen head over heels for you. That night, you said you may or may not have had payers as a child, that your father wanted to become a rabbi, but that his rabbi told him to become a lawyer, but that if your father had become a rabbi, you would have had payers as a child and might still have them now. You clearly would not have touched me in public if, we had attended a reading about true tales of lust and love at the now permanently closed book court in the first place. <laughs> that night, we slowly walked to the R train. Slowly, because the sidewalk was icy and you were limping, and the soles of my shoes were slippery. On the train, we kissed, and I wrote a poem about us kissing on the train that you dismissed, and because you were not the first lover to dismiss my poetry, it hurt twice as much. That night, you asked if you were the first Jew inside me. 
You were not. And you were not the last either. But sometimes... <laughs> but sometimes I still want you inside me. Although I went to the mikvah to better forget your being inside me. But then I got sick. And then a random guy tried to rape me. And I thought how you had wished me well without caring how I would be doing. You publicly display a penchant for Slavic-looking converts, but you never loved me. Like you may or may not have loved that Polish woman, whose Hebrew name may or may not have been Yael or Ayelet, who may or may not have looked like me, but you once swore on the Chumash that I came in second best. Or was that when you, were, when you swore that you weren't dating other women? I clearly remember you swearing on the Chumash, but it may have been a sitter, or maybe it could have been just any book. The bookstore where we attended a reading about true tales of lust and love has been permanently closed for 20 days. A new president was sworn into office today. A week from today, the world will commemorate the liberation of Auschwitz. In four years, a new president may or may not be sworn into office. A week and four years from today, the world will commemorate the liberation of Auschwitz. One day, I may forgive you, and may not. She's like, this is my title, bitches. <laughs> Take it from me. Oh, man. Uh, I love how Book Court is like a <laughs> correction. That long-lived Book Court. You guys remember Book Court? Man. Uh, what a shitty date. <laughs> it was convincing. Our next reader is a former Poem of the Year. This guy is so decorated. He won Poem of the Year two years ago and won Yawper of the Year last year. So give it up for Arthur Russell. So, no, no man has won Poem of the Month this year. <laughs> but there are many men here tonight who win wonderful poems. Including some who have yet to read. <laughs> and yet Jason says that it's going to be a woman who wins Poem of the Month tonight. He said it. <laughs> this poem came out of a workshop that I was in that Jason taught. Okay, you can go for this one. <laughs> the same one that Lauren was in. It's called, How to Replace a Toilet. First, have a father. One who owns a car wash, where he employs poor black men. Preferably those who have come north in the Great Migration. But any poor black men will do. If they have historical disadvantages that have translated into self-destructive behaviors, that make them the target of disdain and predatory labor practices. Grow up at his kitchen table. Hear his precise mimicry of their accents, mockery of their foibles, his deep knowledge of their personal lives, weaknesses and hopes, bordering on and even bleeding into and over into affection that never reaches all the way to respect. Go to work for your father. 
start off trying the cars at the exit end and gradually learn all the jobs while imbibing his attitudes towards the men you work beside, although you made differently, or is it just youth and naive sympathy? Appreciate their struggle. See them come to work, still drunk from the night before, while you are spending your summers at summer camp learning to smoke pot behind the bunkhouse. Get paid the same 125 an hour the men get, with the difference that they are living on it and you are saving up to buy a Sony stereo music system so you can play Carol King's tapestry. Take out Pete Watson's oozing head stitches at the lunch table with a fresh razor blade and tweezers so he doesn't have to leave early to go to the ER and miss work. Learn to send men home with no work on slow days how to absorb their abuse, their special hatred of your father blooming when drunk, transferred to you, and how to resist their request for new uniforms or to replace the old ones that you send to the local dry cleaner for patching. Lean over their shoulders as they vacuum the cars to stop them from sucking up the change in the ashtrays. Follow them around the corner to stop them from buying beer on their 45-minute lunch for which your father charges them an hour. On a Saturday morning at 7 a.m. when Jerry Howard has used his one call from jail to call your father, go to the Brooklyn Men's House of Detention on Gorham Place to bail him out after he got arrested during a fight with his wife because Jerry is the best entrance driver and it's Saturday two days after a messy snow and you may wash a thousand cars. Another time, Find Irving Hyde hiding inside his locker after closing, hoping to burglarize the place if you locked him in. And listen, always listen, even when you argue against him, to the embattled logic your father uses to justify stealing from the men's tip box, withholding pay they'll never get back in taxes because he pays them off the books, and giving them alarm clocks for Christmas, but only if they come to work that day. So you're ready one morning when someone tells you that the men's toilet is broken and you go into that cubicle to see that it's not the flush valve or the toilet seat, but the commode itself, the vitreous bowl that is cracked with an obvious fissure from base to rim where someone has jammed a liquor bottle upside down in the drain and evidently stepped on the base of it hoping that the bottle, not the commode, would break apart and flush away so that the bottle would not be found in the trash and raise suspicions that he had been drinking on the job. Go to your father where he sits behind his gray steel desk making tea and tell him what has happened. Wait while he squeezes the tea bag against the spoon and swings it deftly by the string into the waste paper basket before he looks up at you over his half-moon reading glasses and says, Well, fix it, Sonny. Admit you don't know how to change a toilet. Watch your father take a stubby pencil from his back pocket and draw a schematic diagram of a toilet on a writing tablet. Listen to him explain with the same patience and easygoing charm he used to use to use to talk to your teachers on Parents' Day. The two bowls, the wax ring, the pipe wrenches, the Teflon tape, 
then make a list of the parts for you and send you and his Lincoln to Davis and Washaw to get what you will need. Then call you back at the door to remind you to put a board across the toilet before you go or they'll use it while you're gone and you'll have to clean out their shit by hand. Thank you. The toilet. We're on to the wait list. We have time for a few readers. Our first reader is our wonderful intern who takes your money and gives you poetry. Give it up for Sebastian Bernard. military operation while still inside the womb of his mother who fled like a saint holding her husband's hand who lied into her ear this is the last of Inami. I paid the truck driver for the journey all the way still the earrings to pawn the headscarves winter boots and grandpa's inexplicable ruby ring Istanbul nehosta meguza just mean rude and poor in its way you build your house with your own hands on a brown lot from the price of fresh fruits and meat two guys speaks a Turkish like knife edge Loud, sibilant, because knives kill lovers like him who speak their mother tongue. Sedat, 21, just last week bled to death because six men at a bus station heard speak Kurdish on his phone. Think whether those last words were without issue, or a slip, or absolute necessity, the daring to prove his father wrong, who had counseled him not to, not to do what the quantal human voice box has meant, to lean into those sounds that God really do the trick, the only words that could whisper, beg, and forgive. Tugai, too, counseled by his mother to be silent, leads the way to a truck in the once Greek neighborhood of Tarlabashe, abandoned when fake news on September 1955 claimed the birth house of the founder and first president of our star and crescent in his hometown of Greece bombed, allowing a government-armed pogrom that killed dozens and displaced tens of thousands, unrelated to a war over a piece of ex-empire roughly twice the size of Long Island, hundreds of miles away. Oh, my hysterical people. A neighborhood once since squatted by Romani, Kurdish, Iraqi, Syrian, and African immigrants, now on the verge of eviction for luxury apartments whose life-size digital illustrations prove Zaha Hadid may as well have designed Ottoman military barracks for cosmopolitan oligarchs, tipsy, and here's some British neoclassical molding to show that we've been colluding with those ex-Cypriot colonizers all along. But for now, Leila still sells her hand-stitched shelvars at the biggest local market in town, and watches her kids play soccer in the street. And at night, Tugai and I walk up to that staple truck that declares Kefta on the side and boasts an unused grill, because what's really on sale are the pills that come in blue and pink. Ecstasy, stamped with the Superman S, and never a bad batch. No, that meatball truck is nothing if not consistent. And there, Tugai speaks the language that ensures our trust. And quickly, our adrenaline pumps as we walk past undercover cops. 
through the ghetto, the only shining hill of my city, where any moment the same cops fear a state of war. And just when we enter the club on the fifth floor of a Taksim palace off a street bustling with traditional taverns and tourists, my heart begins its birdsong, and the lush curtains move to reveal faggots, trannies, dykes, goths, sex workers, sex addicts, lovers, friends, fuck friends, losers, writers, workers, government clerks, goddamn exchange students, and more and more immigrants out of God's good eye who've made it from Tehran, from Damascus, from Sana'a, shaking off the wolf, shedding the skin, kissing, holding hands, sweating, sitting in the plush velvet sofas in the back room, lips twisting, curling, caressing, jumping, confidently, aggressively, coyly, defensively, soliciting, drifting, declaring, affecting, giving, forgiving, scheming, a fucking dream, I think, when two guys sticks his tongue down my throat, and I forget for several minutes that tomorrow he will be in the east, the source of our visions, and I in the west, the source of our nightmares, as we hold on to each other for dear and holy life. Thank you. Watson here, but with a line through her name. So you do want to read it. Give it up for Molly Watson. to tune it. Give it up for Misha.
This poem is called uh, They Took the Body. <clears throat> they took the body, tricked it into being theirs, inside a rock that cuts deep into the sea, into the air, deep into my breath. Tunnels, caverns, and dungeons and ancient shackles, windows into the flesh, darkness and eternity, stairways and secrets, and all the final glances before life, before death, before the vast. Castles seized and seized again, stolen from Moors, from Templars, from Spaniards, for access, for vision and strategy, so it remained on one knee, paying tribute. Since old ago, a titan petrified. We climbed 15 centuries to its shoulder, a castle at the top, I whispered your name, a kiss upon the wind, hoped it would reach, but maybe, like many before, it rose and became a part of the gray that enslaves his mind. Our descent away into the black, away from the kingdom, back we waited while the plane settled and then drove around the sea. The terrace is larger than our room. My father snores violently, tossing and turning. I dream about something just out of reach somewhere beyond the balcony where morning breathes through clouds and it's all silver and golden. Once more, I see the giant spiked across the glisten. that leaves before the last two years. Our next reader is Julie Chan. Give it up for Julie. Okay, maybe our last reader then is a different person. Uh, it looks like the name is Rand Ferris. Is that correct? Yeah. Give it up for Rand Ferris. Okay. Yeah. is not my mother tongue. 
I've got, oh, sorry. English is not my mother tongue. I've got the thick brows and the deep brown eyes. My muffled American accent plays as a disguise and overshadows my newly grown roots that have yet to turn gray. Where are you from? I'm from Jordan. Ah, from Georgia. No, I say politely, Jordan. Ah, Israel. No. This time my anger is exerted with a pinch of anger. Silence dances on awkward breaths and uncomfortable stares. In the moment, the conquer is mine. Later, I think I'm petty for even going there. English is not my mother tongue. However, I was born on Western grounds and learned first from the people that I was around. I went from seeing greenery at every corner to bathing in water that I had to turn off in between shampooing and conditioning because my mother always reminded me that our country is poorer. English is not my mother tongue, yet I use it of choice, even in dialect with my own family. Desperately holding on to everything I was born into because the Western world was glorified and our world horrified. A six-year-old that did not know cannot be blamed, but now at 24, I blame myself if I do not know enough. Arabic is my mother tongue. Arab blood escapes from my heart to my veins with every, damn, I'm sorry. I'm gonna change that. Arabic is my mother tongue. Jordanian slash Palestinian is where I'm from. Underneath my crop top and Nike shoes, I wear an invisible veil and carry in my pack my biased views. Do not be quick to judge when you see me with my piercings. The way I dress, talk, and think are conscious adaptations that are ever-changing, a reflection of two cultures interchanging. Arabic is my mother tongue. Notice how my R's are strained when I introduce my name. Notice how my eyes don't hide the fear nor the pain. Notice how I'm quick to defend, quick to forget, and quick to move along. Notice how I fuel on hope to remain strong. مليئة بقصص من كل الطرفين لأنني عربية بلهجة أجنبية. Arabic is my mother tongue. I'll say it just once more. Away from my country, away from my family, but my roots still glow heavily. I now notice the beauty of the Arabic language. I notice its ability to create a world of pure tranquility. I notice I'm blessed. I notice I was young. I notice now that I want to show off where I've come from. Man, I'm glad we got to you. Good. I don't know what Nina would have been like, but it's hard to imagine it would have been better than that. Thank you, Rand. Okay, don't leave yet. Let me review the names for you. Get ready to vote. I'll tell you my number in a second. That was Rand Ferris. Before that was Julie Chen, Misha Tatunik. Alright. Molly Watson, Sebastian Bernard, Arthur Russell, Julia Mavlock, Timothy Wojcik, Bill Livingston, Emily Blair, Richard Fine, Bill Considine, Helen Hutner, Harvey Sauce, Brad Vogel, Charlene Guerna, Alan Braverman, Chris Lowe, yeah, trying to remember all these names, Trinity Tide, Stefan Larry Song, Lauren Gerber Fleury, Michaela Anderson, and all the way back to Tim Gerber Fleury. Okay, so to vote. Just try to remember one of those names. It's 
1953. You can't remember the poet's name. I'm trying to describe the poem. Sometimes I can figure it out. 718-374-1953. Again, this is the last slot in our Poem of the Year tournament. Next month, uh, just listen up for a second. We're going to have a shortened open mic, and then we're going to have the 12 winners of Poem of the Month read their poems that won the award over the last year, and then the audience is going to vote. One of them emailed me, is like, can I revise the poem? I'm like, I guess. <laughs> Probably no one will remember, so uh, it'll be fine. Uh, and then we're also going to announce, in addition to the winner of Poem of the Year, of course, which we'll figure out that night, the Yawper of the Year for 2017. If you don't know what that award is, can I just have one moment, Charlene? I'm thank sorry, you, thank you. Yeah. Stop talking. This is my classroom. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I know how my students feel. She always does that. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Um, the Yop of the Year is given to a poet in our community who uh, is a regular of the Yop, is a great poet on the page and in performance who is also a supporter of other poets. So, like uh, you've heard me say before, we not only celebrate poets that are good writers, but poets that are good to other people, and that means supporting the community. That's a very important thing to me, and it should be to all of you. So come out for that. Um, it will be a special night. It's also a great night. We'll have some, maybe Phil will bring some Christmas cookies, you know, hint, you know no pressure. <laughs> Phil sometimes brings us candy. Um, Phil's, give, a, give a round of applause for Phil. He's a great supporter of the poets. He's always He's also Korean, so you should just like him anyway. You got six. Okay, 718-374-1953. That is the number the last time. Vote for Poem of the Month. Be well, be safe. Don't let anyone tell you to do anything stupid or against your will, all right? Don't bow down to those motherfuckers. Good night. So there you have it, the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for November 13th, 2017. Thanks to Vanessa Jimenez-Gab for leading a wonderful workshop on poetry and money, always a relevant theme, and kicking off our open mic with her terrific poem from the Brooklyn Rail. Congrats to Rand Ferris for winning Yop Poem of the Month for her beautiful poem, Where I'm From. In her Yop debut, no less, very impressive, Hrand has earned the 12th and final spot in our Poem of the Year Smackdown, coming your way on December 11th at 61 Local. That is our December Yop. The workshop begins at 7, as usual, led by J.P. Howard next month, and the open mic will begin promptly at 8 as we'll have a shortened open mic that night to pave the way for our 12 winners of Poem of the Month over the past year who will go head-to-head -head for Poem of the Year honors decided by audience vote. Very exciting night. We look forward to that. Also announced that evening will be our annual Yopper of the Year Award, which we award to a poet in our Yop community who is 
good both on the page and in performance and is a great supporter of other poets. Being good as a poet for yourself and also for others is the combination that we look for in everyone, really, but hopefully in the poets that participate at our yacht. So hope you can come out for that. Once again, that's Monday, December 11th, workshop led by J.P. Howard, Palm of the Year, Smackdown, and Yopper of the Year Award, all happening in the same night. Incredible. To sign up, go to brooklynpoets.org, click on events, click on Yop. You will see the sign-up form there. I hope you're well. I wish you a happy Thanksgiving. If you listen to this before Thanksgiving, maybe you're listening to it on Thanksgiving. If so, I hope you are eating a ton of food and getting super drunk. You deserve it. The country is fucked up. The world is fucked up. I just hope you are well and safe and that your loved ones are safe and not being harassed or just generally made to feel miserable by the terrible people of the world. With that... I bid you good day, good night, whatever time it is, wherever you are, and I hope to see you on December 11th. Thanks for listening.